somebody around around some maybe say hi to somebody this morning I, too, uh, would encourage you to um, come to the concert of prayer, or not the concert of prayer, but a gathering there at the courthouse. I was able to go last year. It's just a great time of praying for our government, our, our officials, city officials, all the way up to national. So that's what we do there, and we just kind of break up into groups and, and pray. So I think... Uh, if, if you can, if you have that time on Thursday at noon, between it lasts usually about 45 minutes, half an hour. Or so I would I would encourage you to be there. Let's just let me pause and pray for today. Father, uh, again as we come to the last day of this last in this series on the family, uh, I pray that um, your scriptures would penetrate our hearts. That as we look at some individuals that um, you would challenge us and, and give us hope, give us assurance that how, how just awesome of God you are, how you love us so much, and you want the best for our families. That's your desire. You want us to, to um, create that environment of, of uh, where our kids can come to know you. So, Lord, I, I just give this day to you, and may your spirit encounter our hearts, each of us. So we, we thank you again. These things we pray in your name. Amen. The first Sunday that uh, we started this series is probably eight weeks ago or so. Um, I, I put on the screen for you some of the top indicators. We went over a bunch of statistics and, and some of the indicators of when they interview people and ask what was the most influencing factors in your life surrounding the family or in terms of your spiritual development. And, and I want to put those on the screen for you again and kind of remind you of that. And these are the top five influencers in terms of faith development for children. And the first one is a mother who models her faith. A second, a father who models his faith. And then three and four, a mom and dad who talk about their faith, who are communicating and dialoguing with their children. And the fifth one is a significant other. I, I think at times we think that it's always other people or a Sunday school or, or, or somebody else, but we realize that as you, when you kind of dig in those stats, it, that it's the home. That's where we're called as a parent, and we've been kind of using this idea, what is the culture of our home where it can create an environment where our children can respond and follow Jesus? And the recognition that all homes, the culture is different. 
But there's this place where we have to be intentional about creating an environment where our kids can come to know Christ. As I was coming, this has been the last Sunday, and we talked about bringing last week, and, and the idea that, um, again, from last week, it was just pushing you a bit of going, can we develop our kids to become missionaries? that they become bringers in our culture and, and transformative, that they are working for the kingdom of God. But as I was praying, I go, okay, God, how do I wrap this up? And, and there was this one issue that just kept coming back over and over again um, to me as I was talking to parents and interacting even on this issue. And, and let me give you the main point for today right up front. One point and then some application. main point is this. We must be willing to trust God with our children. It's about trusting God. He gives us, in the first service, uh, uh, the Petersons had a baby dedic- we had a baby dedication in the first service, but it's this idea that God entrusts us with children, but he invites us and turn as parents to go, will you trust me with your kids, with your families? And even when they grow older, it's not even just young kids. It's from my age as well when, when, when we have grown adults as kids. We are called to walk a path. And on that path, he calls us to trust him. And, and do I recognize that it's easy? And they go, no, it's not easy. Matter of fact, I think many times it's very difficult. And, and, and as I was pondering this issue of trusting God, Two texts actually came to mind, and I don't have time to really go into both of them, but the one I left out is, is actually an exodus where, uh, if you remember, where there was a nation of Israel was in Egypt, and there was a mom and a dad that realized that God had, that, that the, the nation of Israel, the culture was such as that Pharaoh was going to kill all of the, the, the males, the, the male children. And if you remember, a mom who took her baby Moses, and I look at, think of that picture, and so picture this, putting a little child who's not yet weaned yet off and, and putting it in a uh, river to float away. And you go, what kind of an act of faith is that as, as a mom and dad to do that? But turn with me this morning to a text, First Samuel chapter 1. And as you're turning there, let me give you some context to this passage that we're going to read. Because we find that there's a man named Elkanah, tribe of Levi. He had two wives. Now, it doesn't advocate that we have two wives, okay? Uh, it, it really wasn't still okay. But one wife, uh, uh, Penina, uh, was able to have children, and she was always giving a hard time to this other woman who was unable to have kids. And you know that name, many of you know that name, her name was Hannah. And Hannah was a woman who, she walked with God. And we'll see that this morning here. And she began asking God fervently for a child. And matter of fact, one of the times in chapter 1, she goes up to the temple and she begins to pray and just she pours out her heart toward God. And uh, actually, there was a priest that was there at the time, and you know this name, probably Eli. Eli looked at her, and he figured that she was actually drunk. And they had this exchange. He accused her of being uh, having too much, uh, drinking too much wine. So this this issue of, but but this, we will, here's, here's where we're going to kind of pick it up and look at the story. Because God answered her prayer as a yes. 
Now, sometimes God will say no. We recognize that. But in this case, he answered and said yes. So verse 20, And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The man Elkanah and in all of his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, Elkanah, her husband, said, Do not uh, do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. And she brought to him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. And then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli, and she said, O my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord." Now understand the context of these two phrases to even go a little bit wider in the context. A woman gives birth to a miracle child in one sense. She fervently prayed for this. And she begins to, she had to recognize that she had promised to go up and to give her child and, and bring him to Eli. But, but think again of the context. Folks, in this point of history, Eli, he was not that great of a priest. I don't know if you remember that a few years, a couple, three, four weeks ago when Phil preached, he kind of used that story. But this, when you think about it, this is a stunning act of faith and in a willingness to trust God. Because when you think, well, let me give you in chapter 2, verse 29. This is kind of the, the summary of his legacy. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices, my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling, and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves in the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? Folks, this priest had an integrity issue. That's who he was. But let me even push it farther. Look at in chapter 2, verse 12. Here's the fruit of his fathering, of his family. Now the sons of Eli, look at this, how it was written, were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. And you stop and you ponder and go, why in the world would Hannah want to give her son to this priest Whose, whose sons are reputation as being worthless and at best dismissive of the Lord. Think about the, f- the most important formative years of our children's lives. Probably from about five to nine is where so much, four to nine, so much where it's being set. And she's going to bring her child and give him to Eli. Can you picture that? Okay, think of the the day 
So Elkanah takes his son Samuel up there and sits him down on, on a little chair somewhere and he said, okay, son, you know, you're going to stay with Eli and he's going to train you spiritually, Samuel. But he didn't do such a great job on his sons. Or, you know, Samuel, he's going to teach you how to respect women. Even though his sons were womanizers. And you know what? He's going to teach you how to be a man, even though he couldn't even discipline his own sons. Do you catch this as a parent? A willingness to do this? And you go, why? See, the question, why send your son into a family where the culture of that family is dysfunctional? It's just not that great. And, and, and the answer to that question of why, they were willing to give Samuel and turn them, him over to Eli. It, it, there's really two parts, two parts of that answer. And if you're taking notes, I said it this way. The first one is that this husband and wife were filled with integrity. They were parents of integrity. They made a vow. Look at verse 1, chapter 1, verse 11. O Lord of hosts, here's Hannah speaking, if you indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son. Remember, she specifically asked for a son. I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. That's the vow. She promised to give Samuel back to God. She had to honor that vow. Her husband had to honor that vow that they had made to God. But there's a second one that really plays into the, uh, really to their integrity. And I, and I said it this way, that Hannah and her husband, they trusted God. They trusted God. Folks, when it comes to modeling our faith, when it comes to a place where we're walking in front of our children, there may, may be no more important issue than, than trusting God in front of our kids and modeling that. Because what it does, it screams out our relationship and that we believe God and we say He is good. To trust Him means that we believe Him, that we're able to walk by faith, not by sight. But look at the example. Let me look at some verses here. Uh, understand, here's her prayer. She's praying this right at the time that they're probably at Eli's place where they're going to stay. Look at verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, her prayer. Now, this was also sung. It became a hymn, and they would sing this. But, and Hannah prayed and said, my heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. And as I go, okay, if I had to bring my son to that setting, what would I have prayed? What would Deanna and I have prayed as parents? You know where I think I would have gone immediately in this setting? I would have said, oh God, would you protect my child? 
keep him from the evil influences of these sons of Eli. We would have prayed a prayer of protection. But you'll notice that he, Hannah does not do that here. And it's because of her walk with God. I, I go, would I have done that? I don't know if I could have prayed, started praying like this. But because she walked with God, it gave her the power to trust God and say, God, you are trustworthy and you are good. Now, now let me just give you some application points for today. And, and I, I want to, because this, they play into this issue, will we trust God with our children? First application point for this morning, children do not need a divine parent. Children are given to us by God. And as parents, I think we have to stop and realize that we can sometimes jump into the role and assume the role that God plays in our children's lives. And Elkanah and Hannah they refused to take the role of God with their son Samuel. And they trusted God, even allowing him, just think, walking away. He's moved in with Eli with some of his things, and she goes up by the way, if you remember, every year and brings him a coat and whatever. But here was a home that was deeply flawed, and she goes, I'll give them to you. Now, I... When you, when you think of being this divine parent, and we struggle with that, because I can hear the wheels turning with some of you already. Ken, are you telling me we don't have to protect our kids, our children? And here's my response to that. We can never fully protect our kids ever, because we're not God. There's accidents that happen. Things will take place. They have a will that we cannot fully play God in their lives ever. And we're never meant to be. Is there spiritual wisdom needed? The answer is yes in terms of, you know, we, we, I've talked about with my kids, of, you know, who do you send, where do, what homes do you go to, what, all of those different things when they're younger. But as parents, we're not gods and we never will be. And as a parent, I realize that, that we cannot convert our children, we can't regenerate our children, we can't decide that transformation is going to take place in their lives, we can't spiritually save them. So the somewhere along the line, folks, and parents, there is a line there that we sometimes want to cross and we step over and you go, I have to be God in my children's lives. And I don't know where that is for you. But we have to recognize that there's a line there. Because if we are going to model our faith in front of our kids, we have to stay back at times behind the line and say, God, I'm going to trust you. See, there's another issue that flows. Let me give you another one, again, that just connects with this deeply. So if you're taking notes, again, I said it this, like this. Children do not need an overprotective parent that shields them from the hard things of life. See, 
parental overprotection is a form of control. But understand this, it's a failure to trust God. And you know what, there's something far more worse than a child failing. And you know what that is? A child who never experiences failure. Because why? Because they'll never learn how to respond to the inevitable failures of life. You think of it as adults. How many times do we things come at us where we go, okay, I've got to trust God. Our children have to begin to experience those things, and we can try to shield them from those hard things in life. And folks, you can't do it. They're going to hit it someday. Yeah, maybe if you want to shield them till they're 18, but at some point they're going to be walking away from your home needing to start their own family and home. But think of Hannah. Folks, she got it. Look at verse 6. She understood that God was in control and that she could trust him. Look at the Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princesses and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillows of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. Do you see confidence of God oozing out of this woman? I think back and would that have been my prayer if God would have called me to give up my son like that? I go, I don't know. I don't think so. Do you catch that she's that her God is trustworthy? He's powerful in those phrases, and he's good. Is that would have been would that be our prayer? Let me give you a third application for this morning. Children do not need parents enslaved to fear. They all fit together. But it's this issue of, at times, fear comes into parenting process and it grips us. And God is going, fear not, trust me, believe me, walk by faith. And we got to go, oh, Bob, God, give me the answer. What's going to happen? He goes, no, I want you to walk by faith and trust me. See, that's what parenting is all about. It's acts of trusting God daily, day after day. It's walking by faith, not knowing how it's going to come out, but we recognize God is good, and he's in control, and he loves us, and he loves our children. So how do we do that? Let me just give you a couple more verses here. Look at this. The bows of the mighty are broken, but feeble on the bind strength. This is the ESV, but look at how the message puts it. The weapons of the strong are smashed to pieces while the weak are infused with fresh strength. Catch how she's expressing to God, God, you can do it. You're in control. And folks, trust pushes away fear. And that's where we have to go. When we trust God and we walk by faith, all of a sudden fear begins to shrink back. And let me go back to those stats. 
what do our kids see as to what we're modeling? Are we modeling fear? Or are we modeling trusting, walking by faith, dependency on a good and loving God? Let me show you another verse, verse 9. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones. But the wicked shall be cut off, for not by might shall a man prevail. This is Hannah speaking about the whole circumstances there. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. God was powerful and she believed it. God loved her and she believed it. God was good and she believed it. And the result was she trusted God and her husband trusted God, Elkanah. See, as parents, can we trust God? I have a little figurine here. I normally don't carry around in my pocket all the time like this. Can everybody see that? Here's our child. See, the question is, how do we hold that child? I had a parent when I was doing youth ministry years ago. I can remember this day. I can picture the office I was in, and a mom came in, and her daughters and her, she had two teenage daughters, and they were going like this at each other. They couldn't get along. And uh, I began to talk and dialogue with her and ask some questions, and I threw out a theoretical question to her, and I said this, what would happen if your daughter became a missionary and moved over to Africa or Europe? And here's a mom who loved her daughter's Profoundly. And you know what her answer was? It was basically this. I couldn't imagine doing that. That would be absolutely terrible. What did that just scream out? It, it screamed out, this is a little girl, but for her teenage daughter, she was doing this. She was holding that daughter in her hand and she was the one that had to play God. See, that's really it comes down to. The question is, how do we hold our kids in our hand? How do we do that? See, the, the problem is, can we... Sometimes God will do this. He grips, he, he just pries our fingers open. And this is how we have to hold our children why? Because God is calling us to trust him. If when we do this, we end up stepping into playing God all the time. And there's a point, folks, I've experienced it, when all of a sudden your kids have to leave your hand and they have to walk away from home. And do we become a hover parent at that point even as they leave home? Uh, more and more this is taking place. Even in colleges are saying, parents are calling college professors and complaining about the work that they do. What, how do we do that? See, at some point, the kid has to leave home. 
Who's going to catch it? Us or God? I was going to bring a big fishing net <laughs> and tip it over and go, okay, who's the net? It's God. And maybe God wants our child to hit the ground and, and for something hard to come in their life. Are we okay with that? Will we still trust God? You see, this comes all the way swinging back. Folks, when we model our faith, what it means to walk with God, are we growing in our love for him? Are our are, are, are children seeing that? Dads, moms, and are we, are, are we pushing toward conversations where we're talking with our children about what it means to trust and walk by faith and not control? Because if we do this, this is hurting our children spiritually because they have to trust God as well. Can we guarantee it? No. It's trusting God again back to our lives. Folks, the exhortation on all of us is to walk a path of faith. And in a do that, to do that, and not know the answer or the outcome with our kids and our grown kids and grandchildren, we have to walk by faith, not by sight. And we trust God because he is good. Let's stand and be dismissed. Let me pray. Father, I have to confess it, it is hard to, to walk by faith and not by sight and to trust you in your goodness and your love and your provision for us and knowing even with our children that you are ultimately in control but lord would your spirit just continue to prod and pull us toward you to walk by faith to give us the ability to see you as good to see you as one who cares and to see your desire to pull even our children toward yourself. But Lord, ultimately our kids are in your hands. I, I think of our child dedication in the first service and, and just that whole picture of that family cannot never play God and assume that that child, that little girl is going to grow up and know you. So, so Lord, help us to walk by faith and not by sight. So, Lord, may we put our trust in you. And we want to thank you for being trustworthy. And you demonstrated your trustworthiness by sending your son. Why? Because you love us. And that's the basis of who you are. So we give our children to you. Lord, I give these families to you. May you honor and bless them. May you help them create a culture and a family environment of deep nurture and deep understanding of what it means to walk and love you. So we thank you again for your goodness. And I give this, the, all these families to you here even today. These things we pray in your name. Amen. Have a great week. Put away your shovel, hopefully. <laughs> Have a great week.